Okay, so Pastor Albert, Mary, they're in the country of Bangladesh. You're going to hear a lot more about it, but it is primarily Islamic. So today I asked, I said, what would you like me to share during Sunday school? And they said, you can share whatever you want. And I said, I think it would be a real help to set in context what you're going to hear today, just a comparison generally, big picture between Islam and Christianity. So that's what we're going to be doing. Because when they share, they're not primarily going, they're going to be talking about the churches there. But I I just want to give you a, a thought entering into this. We look at somebody else and and we we're not them, so we don't know what it feels like to be them. It's true for any people group. So for instance, I could say to a black man, I know exactly what it's like to be you, and he would look at me and say, no, no, you don't. Because you're not me, and you don't know what it feels like to be here. So when we talk about being in a place that's primarily Islamic, that's different from how it's practiced and seen here, in one sense we could say, I I know what you're talking about. In another sense, we, we have to say, I don't know what you're talking about. And so best I can, I want to just give you a, a view of what Islamic beliefs are. And I'm saying it different from what Muslims believe. Okay? So the, And for those of you who grew up maybe in a Christian home, the reason I'm saying it a little different is this. You might have said you were a Christian, so people who grew up Christian, raise your hand if you said I did. How many of you would say you had a good understanding of Christian beliefs? Raise your hand. Okay, so we have some like this. Do you think that's true of every religion? Is that possible? So, okay, so you can be a Christian, at least in name, right? but not hold to orthodox beliefs. So, I just want to make that point. You can be a Muslim, and you do not hold to orthodox Muslim beliefs. You don't know what you believe. And I would just suggest that's true of the majority of people who identify with major religions all over the world. So if a number in America is, I'm making this number up, but it's some 60%, would identify as Christian. Is that fair, a number like that? What's the actual number, you would say, of orthodox understanders of true Christianity? And you'd say, oh, it's way smaller than that, right? So I don't know what that actual number is. The Lord knows that number. So in the same way, in a country when we say 91 plus percent are Islamic, if we say everyone's going to believe everything I said here, most of the people would say, I've never thought about that, never heard that. Even the people teaching at the mosques, they don't know a good deal of what the tenets of their faith are. So you meet somebody at Wright State, for instance. Don't assume naturally they know what they believe. And this sounds strange, but You've lived it yourself, right? You say you believe something, but you actually don't know what you believe and what it's written. So what I'm going to be talking about here is from a big picture, what 
our Islamic beliefs, but let's just imagine we have a man who identifies as a Muslim here. It doesn't mean I could ask him that and he would say, that's what I believe. So it's a strange thing, but we've seen it in our own life. You were mentioning it in the morning. uh, We had breakfast uh, about Christianity. Didn't know major parts of what Christianity teaches. So Islam is the world's second largest religion. Uh, in 2010, 1.6 billion Muslims. And we, uh, we think of it and we think of Saudi Arabia, Middle East as the hub, if we want to say that. But most of the world that would identify as Islamic would be living more in a region which we'd call South Asian. So if we're thinking primarily Middle Eastern, while Mecca, Saudi Arabia, that's where you would take pilgrimage. Actually, if you're looking for the biggest concentration, it's going to be in uh, Indonesia and Bangladesh, and South Asia is going to be a major stronghold, if that's what you want to say. So a... People have ways of arguing, a way of arguing with somebody. uh, There's a a term people use, it's called a straw man argument. So let's say Greg and I are arguing and I construct his beliefs in front of you, but I construct them in a way he wouldn't, so he's not in the room. So I say Greg believes this and I construct his beliefs in a way that I can kick it over really fast. A way to present something and know something is for Greg to be in the room with me and him to nod his head and say, actually, that is what our belief is. And then for me to go after actual beliefs, not ones that I'm just trying to knock him down. Does that make sense? So what I'm telling you today is actual beliefs that Islam teaches, and I'm making a distinction again, this doesn't mean that the Muslims you know or will encounter actually believe these things. Just like there's people who identify as Christians, but it doesn't mean they believe what Christi- Orthodox Christianity teaches. Is that, is that making sense? All right. So what we're going to talk about is what makes a person a Muslim. So core, basic There's a Muslim, somebody's not a Muslim. If I could boil it down to one thing at its essence, it's this. It's this statement. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. That makes somebody a Muslim. That statement. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. I want to say something. So at minimum, that's what it means. What it does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I think we could find a statement like that, right? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, it's a head thing. Oh, it's just a head thing. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's a lot wrapped into the Jesus is Lord meaning all of that. But if we wanted to boil the faiths down... Christianity, Islam, for Islam is there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. That would, in terms of the world, make you a Muslim. 
So, um, humanistically speaking, the world would say Allah and the God we worship are the same. So, because both religions would revere the Bible. I, I just want to walk you through, though, what Islam teaches. Not, again, what people necessarily believe, but what Islam teaches. And you're going to get to see, no, that Allah and the God we worship are not the same. They're not the same God. And um, just a, real quickly, we have, this in, we have this in normal life, don't we? We're describing somebody and we say, uh, we've had it before, do you know, I'll pick, pick a name, do you know Bill Smith? And you say, I know Bill Smith. We both know the same name, right? And you say, I know Bill Smith as a Korean man. And you start describing the Bill Smith you know, and you say, he's very tall and he's from Africa. We both know Bill Smith, right? Well, in name, are they very different people though? They're not the same at all. So the idea of humanistically saying Allah and Christianity, they worship the same God, no Muslim would say that. You need to know that. So we're not building a straw man. The God we worship, they would say, I don't worship what you are talking about. And we would say, the God you worship, we don't worship that God. It's as opposite as the Korean man and the man from Africa. We say, oh, they're very different. They're not the same. So what makes a person a Muslim at minimum? There's one God, Allah. Muhammad is his messenger. They have many practices. I don't want to talk about their practices, though. I want to talk big, big picture thing. So Muslims believe in four inspired books. You're going to hear this, and you're going to say, oh, we sound very similar. So the books of Moses... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Psalms of David, the Gospels. You say, wow, we seem like we're very similar. And then something they they call the Quran. Okay, so we've got four inspired books. However, I just, so this is in their own writings that we're not building something up. These three, so the books of Moses, and the Psalms of David, they have been corrupted by the Jews, two of them. The Gospels have been corrupted by the Christians because they perfectly agreed with the Quran. So we can say we believe the books of Moses are true and the Psalms of David are true and the Gospels are true but they're only true in a version that we can't find anywhere because they've all been corrupted. Are you, so somebody can say you, you have the same books and the answer is no, I know what you're saying but it's actually not true because the books you're talking about, the corrupted ones, none of them exist anywhere. So it, this is not making something up. This is in their own writings. So the Quran is... Um, the inspired word from Allah. Uh, There have been 28 prophets. This is another similarity. So prophets of Islam. Adam is a prophet. Noah is a prophet. Abraham is a prophet. David is a prophet. Jonah is a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. We honor 
him highly. Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet. All of a sudden the story seems like, oh, we wouldn't say that. But when you start pressing out beliefs and seeing what's written, you'd say, there's a lot we wouldn't say. For instance, they would say, a prophet would never suffer the humiliation of dying on a cross. What is the heartbeat of Christianity? The one statement you have to confess. It's, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, What's built into the being raised from the dead? The crucifixion. You'd say, oh, we're very different. And it's not even saying which is true at that point. It's just saying, let's just imagine we have a Muslim man. It's saying if he knew his beliefs, he would say, I don't believe what you say. And I would say, and I don't believe what you say. But let's say we have a, an outsider, primarily a Western person here, they would say, you're just the same. Why can't you get along? Do you see that? Because they're saying, you like the books of Moses, right? And you say, yes, I do. You like the Psalms, right? You like the Gospels, and you honor Jesus. And he can nod his head for all of it. And she looks at me and she says, books of Moses are important to you. You like the Psalms. You like the Gospels, right? And I nod my head and we say, which books of Moses do you like? He says, well, not the ones you have in your Bible. They've been corrupted. So I, I hope that gives you a picture of, we have two Bill Smiths here we're describing, and even saying you, you honor the books of Moses, it's not the books of Moses that you have. So it's a really big deal. So we have prophets. Muhammad is the last and the greatest prophet. So, Beliefs about Allah. Allah is one. One thing. People would say he's a monad. Like a, like a biped would have two things. We believe in a God who's a trinity. Okay. Allah is behind a curtain. Okay. So he does not make himself known to people. He's unknowable in that sense. Just think about what you know about the God of the Bible. Is that how you know God and how he's revealed himself? No, what's his way? His way is the dwelling place of God will be with man. God has come near to his people, and we would say he's knowable so much so that we would say he comes in the third person of the Trinity, and where does he live, actually? He lives when inside of us. So again, we are describing God and Allah. You can people. So we have a Westerner, let's say, and it's funny that I picked you to be my example of a Westerner. <laughs> but she would say Allah is just another word for God. This is the sort of thing a professor at a college would say. It's just a word for God. You both worship the same God. You can almost say that's fine. Allah can just be a word for God. What he means by that, though, what I mean are very different. So if you asked him, is your God knowable? He will say, no, he exists behind a curtain. Is your God knowable? I would say yes, and he wants to know me, and he likes, he likes me. Does he like me even when I break the law? And I'm not saying you, 
he wants you to break the law? Does he love sinners? You ask me, my answer is yes. You ask him, his answer will be no. So again, the world, our Westerner, is saying exact same, but when you look at beliefs, if we knew what we believe, we'd say radically different, not the same at all. So Allah is not a trinity, he is alone. So the Quran says anyone who believes God has partners, think of the word partners, is speaking blasphemy. We're going to push this out a little bit later. So when I said, when I said earlier, people, untaught people in a great deal of the world. So later on when they share, put this in perspective. The, the people speaking out things that are going out loudspeakers all over the world, when they talk about the Trinity, what they're telling people is we believe in three gods. Would you say that? Is that what you believe? You'd say, no, that's not what I say. That's what they've heard. So we say, well, of course they know what we mean by the Trinity. What you would hear very typically is Christians believe in the members of the Trinity as God the Father. They never use the word Father in terms of naming Allah that. Why? Because Father implicates that you could have a son, which means God has had sexual relations with somebody. Okay? So... The belief of the Trinity that many, many Muslims hold is that the Trinity, in our minds, three gods, the members of the three gods, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Mary. So this is just important to know. I'm not making this up. Is That would be a base assumption of people. You're talking about the Trinity, and you think they know what you're talking about. So... Greg and I would almost have to define our terms because when I say Trinity, what's his thought? His thought is, I'm worshiping three gods and probably he's thinking one of them is Mary. So do you see the difficulty in just saying, well, you just disagree about is there a Trinity or not? And you say, no, it goes deeper than that. The whole nature of God himself we believe something very different. So when our Westerner says, you both believe in one God and he's the same, you say, no, he's very different. It leads to questions about missions. So when people go to another country and they say, you should use the name Allah because Muslims will more readily identify with God and Allah is a name that can refer to God. What you have to say, words are like... Um, train cars, that words really are empty holders, right? And meaning gets put inside the train car. So imagine a train car that's been filled with coal. So the word Allah to our Muslim here, is his train car full? It's very full. He already has a meaning of what Allah means. So if I come into his culture and say, I worship Allah, What's already happened? He already has his very full train car. And this has been a disaster for people in missions. Because you're starting with that thought, and he's not going to be able to move 
from that thought of an impersonal God who hates sinners, who is a monad, a one being. So, that's just reality. All right. Um, I just want to say this. Who would you want to know? If you were going to build a religion and invent one, think about it. Why are you here? Do you like community? Anybody here like it? Are you glad your God reflects community? It's built into the Trinity. We are a reflection of the Trinity today. What's the opposite? Behind the wall, distant. Human heartbeat-wise, we're not wired for that because all humans are made in the image of God. We're even so Muslims all around the world, they're not wired for their God. Praise God, because that opens the door to evangelism. They're wired for something different. But this is what they have. All right, so we need to move forward. Are we tracking so far? All right. So they would say they honor Jesus, right? I already said that. So I honor Jesus, he honors Jesus. Our Westerner says, You're good. We have something very different. Because a prophet would not be dishonored in that way. He would never be killed in that way. And we would say that was Christ's honor and glory. It was his path to glory. So what would they say? What are they being taught by the... I'm, I'm sorry, brother, but he's the person teaching at the mosque, okay? Just imagine that. What is he teaching people that, that how God did it? Well, the belief is Jesus was taken to heaven before the crucifixion. Why? So he, did he ascend to heaven? And you go, you both believe he ascended to heaven. Yes, we do. Very different part, though. We're skipping a major part. So he's telling people on the loudspeakers what we believe and all that stuff. So you believe Jesus is in heaven? Yes. I do, too. Do you believe he's to be honored? I do too. We're the exact same. And you go, no, we're very different. You do not believe he would die on a cross, correct? Okay, so I'm not building a little straw man. I'm just saying this is what your faith says. So who died on the cross? Somebody else, either Judas, mostly, he's saying, but he might have a friend who also teaches another mosque, Simon of Cyrene, and God took the image of Jesus and put it on their face. And that's who died. I'm not making this up. This is what people are hearing from their mosques. I'm not, do you remember what I started with though? It doesn't mean that's what a typical Muslim believes. It's meaning that's what the belief is. In the same way that you could have grown up Christian and said, oh, I never knew or thought about that. So, do you see how radically opposed our faiths are? So, so, our view of what honor for Christ is, is totally different. So, they can say, I believe Christ is in heaven. You say, our story, we have to just start in a totally different place. So, I, I want to talk about the Quran. So, the Quran means reading or recitation. So, in the 600 ADs, Muhammad starts getting revelation. The first time he gets it, he is so troubled, he goes to his wives 
And he says, I am wondering if a jinn has come over me. A jinn is their word for a demon. Okay. Should be a clue right there. His wives convince him, no, this is really important. You should start preaching this. He's receiving revelations from, this is teachings from the Quran, Gabriel. He is not writing them down. Muhammad is actually illiterate. So you need to know that. So, But he is not writing down things that is God-breathed but coming through a human messenger in a human way. He is giving the exact words that are written in a book, an Arabic book in heaven. Okay, do you see the difference between the Bible and the Quran? The Bible came to us in time and space and history. So there was a time when the book of Jonah did not exist, right? The Quran has always existed. Massive difference. All right. So when people talk about our faiths, you have your Quran, we have our Bible. That's not how he would think of it. They are not like dueling things. Their Quran is more equal to how we think of Jesus. So, to get a picture of what he feels like when a Quran is burned, it's not what you feel like if somebody threw away a Bible. The equivalent is if somebody burned Jesus. Can you feel the weight of that? Can you feel his anger? Because saying that, because the Quran is the eternal word of God. Who is Christian teaching the eternal word? In the beginning was the word. So our Westerner is saying, you both have a holy book, they're equal. Um, let's not burn Bibles, let's not burn Korans, let's just get along and say, his view of what his book is, is very different from what my book is my book is leading me to a person. Their book is the eternal word of God. It's the same as, it's not the same, but picture-wise, it's the same as my view of Christ being God's eternal expression of himself. Or, so you get the picture? So when we think about, a, so a pastor somewhere burns a Koran in America, in Florida, and we wonder why did 40 people get massacred in, an, in a country as people revolted? Why? Feeling-wise, do you get the feeling why? Because we touched something that's perfect and beautiful and eternal. It's the feeling you have if, again, Christ was burned by somebody. So, about nature of the Quran, the Quran is the why of Muslim belief. So this is the people have a, a, a thing called, it would be called circular reasoning. So here's circular reasoning. I am the best basketball player in the world. Okay? You say you don't look like you probably are, but I just told you I am. How do you know I'm the best basketball player in the world? 
because I just told you I'm the best basketball player in the world and everything I said is right. So can you refute that? By itself, you can't because the circle keeps going back to that thought, I'm the best basketball player in the world. Well, prove it because I said I'm the best basketball player in the world. And whatever I say is true. Okay? So I'm discussing with our Muslim friend, and a friend is a really important word here. He is created in God's image, and God has wired him not to love this faith. He just doesn't know something else. Why is the Quran true? Because the Quran is true. Okay, it sounds funny, doesn't it? This is wired into him. He hears it all the time. The beauty, so what Muhammad said is the beauty of the Quran proves that it's true. It just is true. Okay, what's been corrupted? According to you, what's been corrupted? The Gospels. Why? Because they were written to prove the Quran was true. Clearly, they don't say the things that are in the Quran, therefore, they've been corrupted. So there was a time in history when Jews, based on your beliefs, corrupted the words in Scripture, right? Do you agree with that? Okay, and then there was a time in history when Christians corrupted the words of the gospel. Do you believe that? As a Muslim, yes. Yeah, we got to be clear. <laughs> we got to be clear about this. Okay, so, so, and, and I'm... Not, Honestly, I'm just going after, this is actually what your beliefs are. Again, it doesn't mean you could talk to somebody as Muslim and they'd say that because they might not know what they believe. If that's the case, we should be able to find manuscripts that said what it originally said, right? So one of the things people will say about Christianity is there's so many manuscripts out there and they see it as a problem, Think about this. What's the beauty of having so many manuscripts? It, they're not all identical, but there's so many, you can say, uh, actually, we can see there was always a preservation of certain things. And if somebody's going to claim this was always in there, you'd say, huh, in one of these thousands of manuscripts, we should be able to find one that looks like what you're talking about. The Gospels, the corrupted ones, we have, so just logic-wise, think about this. Islam comes in the 600s, okay? Quran comes in that 600 AD. How many years after Jesus is that? Let's just make it 570 years-ish, something like that. Okay, when did they first start getting manuscripts that we have now, are in existence, that are proclaiming... Uh, the, from the Gospels? We have some parts of manuscripts from the first century, but very little, but a lot from the second, third, century. Okay. So, they have some that were within 0 to 100. Lots and lots from 100 to 200, and then thousands beyond that. For the corruption to happen like they're talking about, there would have to be evidence of a governing power in Christianity that gathered all manuscripts that said what the Quran said, gathered them together, corrupted them, and then issued this new corrupted one. 
Does that make sense? Like we got all the original ones that said truth. We collected them because we had a governing authority that had power in the church to do that, to gather all things together and issue one official manuscript. Knowing what you know about the church, have we ever had one governing authority on earth that had the power to gather all manuscripts like that? No. This is the beauty of having so many manuscripts and even the way the church is structured say it didn't allow what they're talking to happen. Has this ever happened in Islam? Actually, it did. 20 years after Muhammad died, his, I think it's his third successor, gathered all manuscripts, had them burned, issued new, officially recognized this is what the Quran teaches. This is in their history. And the reason you know it is because some people didn't do what he said. And so there's these vagrant issues of the Quran out there that show uh, actually what you say, that it's always been the same. It wasn't in the early days. And you did collect them. You did what you've charged Christians with doing. So, Quran. You'll sometimes hear in the news something like that. Uh, Islam is a peaceful religion, and then they will quote something from it. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, one of the verses is, there's no compulsion in Islam. So i just talking about the nature of our books. This is so we have our Westerner, who she's now a news reporter. And she's saying it's a, it's a, a religion of peace. That is a very Western view you do not have Muslims saying that statement unless they grew up here and they don't know what's taught. So they have something that I just want you to hear if this sounds like your Bible. They call it a principle of, it's a weird word, the principle is abrogation. Abrogation. So A-B-R-O-G, A-B-R-O-G-A-T-I-O-N, abrogation. The principle is this. Things stated in the Quran can be revoked, nullified, canceled, changed by other things stated in the Quran. It's the principle of abrogation. How do you know what's been abrogated? Well, our man teaching in the mosque will tell us. Okay? So we have our Western reporter who's saying, they, they call uh, their... Chapters and things are called surahs. So in surah whatever, it says there's no compulsion in religion, meaning we don't force anybody there. So she says that everybody believes that's what the Quran says, and the truth is it does say that. But it also says to kill apostates who don't believe. The question is, now we have two statements. No compulsion. Compulsion, like I'm going to push you to believe this, and then I should kill you. Which one stands? Which one's been abrogated? How do I know? It's hard to know because it doesn't have a statement in the Quran which one's been abrogated. He knows. He's going to tell me. The other way he knows is because there's a second book. It's a collection of activities and sayings of Muhammad. It's called the Hadith. So his actions. So we go to that 
because that shows us what's been abrogated in the Quran. So what's been canceled, nullified, and what stands. So we look at what did Muhammad do? What did he say? So he becomes an interpreter for us of things that are canceled, things that are not. So right away, if people are, start saying the Quran, let's just say again, remember I said it's more equivalent to what we believe of Jesus. But if people say the Quran and the Bible is the same, do we say that about the Bible, that things in it can be abrogated? No, absolutely not. And do we have a bonus book that interprets things for us that supersedes things in the Bible? Well, actually, no, that's what cults do, right? That's a mark of the cult. So Jehovah's Witnesses do, Mormons do, you can go on and on. That's how they work. So this idea, though, I, I would just suggest our news media, people like that, they have no idea what Muslims believe. And this is all stuff that if he was, he would be able to nod his head and say, we do believe in abrogation. It has to be part of what we believe. So here's the confusing thing. Why is the Quran true? What did I say earlier? Because the Quran's true. Okay. Isn't it weird that I can have that reasoning, but it be, can be saying massively different things? So wouldn't it seem like, just humanly speaking, if it's true, it should be coherent? That seems right, right? I, it, it doesn't seem like that should be a hard thing. So um, I just want to read some of the things that the Quran says. So different things that you go, all right, these are actually in their writings. Uh, so in the sixth chapter in our way of saying things, it says Muhammad was the first believer. The seventh chapter, it says Moses was the first believer. The 26th chapter or book, if you want to say it, says that Pharaoh's magicians were the first believers. Okay. 88th teaches that the only food in hell will be thorns. 69th says it will be pus. 37th says it will be devil-like fruit. So um, we get some that say God created the world in six days. Some that say he created the world in eight days. Some say he created man from blood. Some say from water. Some say from clay. And some say from dust. Some say Jews and Christians worship the same God as Muslims. You go, so our Western reporter can say, Quran, blah, 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 it says you worship the same God. As a believer, you'd say, that's not all they believe about the Quran. They also believe in abrogation, and they're looking primarily at this thing called the Hadith. So, you can't do what you do with the Bible with the Quran. We quote something in God's Word and we say, it's true. And even if we don't understand it, we say, it's true, I just don't understand it completely yet, but I know the rest of Scripture will agree here, it's just not canceled by a new thing. So, um, the uh, let's see, what else do I want to talk about here? I guess I, I would like to talk about um, idea here of the Crusades. 
okay? Up until the 1800s, nobody was saying that Christians went to war to dominate Muslims and to steal their things. Where did the story start? Muslims were not saying that. That was actually started by people who just didn't know history. What happened was, if you think of, think of the world map, Christianity, where did it spread? Well, primarily Paul's writings, things, they're up in modern-day Turkey. Paul wants to go to Spain. So the bottom part of Europe is now becoming Christianized. Was that the, there's a, there's a Mediterranean Sea. What's underneath the Mediterranean Sea? Africa, North Africa. So, does anybody remember where Apollos came from? Came from North Africa. He's from Alexandria, which is in Egypt. This part of the world reflected the top part, meaning heavily evangelized, very Christian. In fact, some of the people that we celebrate as the first not first, the apostles obviously, but thinkers of the church are based in Africa. Augustine, people like that. So people that you'd say, wow, foundational to our faith, creeds that we're going to recite and things like that. 600 AD. So the church has grown and flourished. 600 AD, Islam starts, sweeps through North Africa. Christians wiped out by the thousands. Never has recovered from that standpoint. You see evidence of it, Coptic Christians in, Israel, in Egypt. Do you remember the beheadings a couple years ago? So you see evidence of there's an ancient faith here, but a little bit of what you're going to hear in just a little bit of a people clinging on, if you want to say it, by their fingernails to something that is eager to drive them off the earth. North Africa was heavily Christian. Islam swept through, wiped it out. And I'm not saying totally, but mostly. Comes into Spain. Wiping through Europe. Gets to a spot where it is a question whether any Christianity will survive at all. Why? Because the infidels must be killed. And this is not something that a Muslim would disagree with because we're following not just the Quran, we're following the Hadith, what Muhammad has done and said. And what he said is they must be killed. So we talk about Jesus, his nature. Is he a warring man on earth? Peaceful. How many wars did he fight, as you can remember in history? Zero, right? In fact, he's warred upon Muhammad, nine years, 86 battles. Nature, you will know them by their fruit. So when people are saying, our Western reporter says it's a religion of peace, you'd say, fruit-wise, it's not that. So what was the basis of the Crusades? And I'm not arguing they were doing well. Please don't hear me in that. It was people pleading you have got to come, talking to Europeans, you've got to send people to save us because we are going to be wiped out. You get people who in name are Christians coming down, 
and they are gobbling up gold and other things along the way. So I'm not saying, but what was the basis of the Crusades? It was what Islam has always believed is being played out in world history. So how many, can I take one minute? Big thought here. Is the Muslim your enemy? Think hard. No. Who do we wrestle against? Spiritual powers. Is this a spiritual power? Yep. I would just suggest if we have in Revelation beasts that come against the people of God, this is one of the strongest the earth has ever seen. And when you see believers here, they are more like the people clinging in North Africa that you say, oh Lord, would you please preserve them? And a reason we love missions is because we love people. They are not our enemies, though. They're people made in the image of God. That means they've been wired to not love this. That means they can be reached. There will always be a pressure point somewhere because they've been made in the image of God, and what is he at his nature? Is he a monad behind the curtain? He loves community. What will draw them? What will win them? How am I going to win this man? Love and community that way okay also so that's a problem he's been wired for that and he lives in not Allah's world which real world does he actually live in God's world that's a major thing Christians have of he can and again I'm guessing so he's my Islamic friend I don't think he knows almost any of what I just told you. He probably knows the weirder parts of it, okay? He does ascribe to this, though. There's one God, Allah. Muhammad is his messenger. He's heard from the person who wasn't very educated. He, by the way, is very educated, but, but the, on the loudspeaker, all sorts of weird stuff every day, and they can tell you it's weird, isn't it? They're hearing it every day, but he lives in God's world, for us, if we'd say, ah, it's, a, it's an Islamic nation, you might say, no, there's lots of Islamic people there. It's God's nation, though. It's his world, and he's wired for a God that's a God of community. So um, at, you guys, why don't you wrap up how you want to? But that's what I wanted to share today. I hope it fits with this. Yes, I'd like to pray. And one thing I'd like... I, this is a university town. You will encounter many, many Muslims. We cannot approach them that they, in the same manner they will approach us. They are not your enemy. They are wired to love God. They have to meet him. They have to know him. They have to love him. And they probably don't believe almost everything I just told you. It is what their faith teaches, though. So I'm going to pray for you. This is my prayer. You would be good citizens of God's earth and his kingdom. You would love this people and you would not be afraid. And that God would work a miracle here. And that you would give us wisdom, God, to help people who are living in a place of bigger pressure in this area. Lord Jesus, we, um, 
we're glad this is your world. I'm glad everything we just talked about isn't true about Islam. It's not true that it's reality. They believe it, but it's not reality. And our heart and our desire, God, you made people in your image is that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Would you please work a miracle in this earth? And would you please open our hearts to love people who would say, no, my religion is Islam. Help us relate to them, not in fear, but um, relate to them as friends. I, I pray that you'd help us figure out creative ways to make community. Lord Jesus, we need help in doing this well. I pray that you'd raise up people here who'd be a clear voice to places even like media and in government and other places that help us think hard about things like this. So I pray for the witness of this church in this town and this place. And beyond this, we ask that you would show us how to give and help believers who live in places where this is a much greater need, greater pressure. Would you help us, Lord, Live as your people in this world. In Christ's name, amen.